Welcome everyone to this week's uh, webinar for the ICJ coming to you from our headquarters here in Jerusalem. And thanks to everyone who's joining us on Zoom and on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Now, if you need some translation, we have Spanish and Portuguese translation over in the Zoom webinar. So you can get that there. Otherwise, you can enjoy it from Facebook or YouTube Live, whatever platform you're watching us. But we just want to thank you for uh, joining us for uh, the topic of the media assault on Christian Zionism. We're uh, talking about how the mainstream media has this, uh, this bias or this bent, not only against Israel, but anyone who uh, supports Israel. Uh, a, and you'd have to even call it a bigotry, a religious bigotry when it comes to Christian Zionists, and it keeps showing up again and again. We've been uh, trying to deal with this for uh, several decades here at the Christian Embassy, um, but there's just been a, a, a whole new round of it, a whole new wave of it over the last six to eight months, I'd say, a real pickup in it here in the Israeli media and in uh, other uh, media around the world in the U.S. and elsewhere. And a lot of it uh, uh, was uh, stirred by a documentary film called Till Kingdom Come. And we're going to look at that and our guest today, uh, let's introduce him, Dexter Van Zyl. He's a Christian media analyst for the Committee for Accuracy in Middle East Reporting and Analysis. How are you, Dexter? You have to unmute there. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm wonderful, and it's very nice to be here. Okay, and uh, Dexter did some uh, research and detective work. Uh, he's a media analyst for, uh, uh, it's not just Christian media, but all media, especially when it involves Christian issues, um, uh, for fair reporting on Israel and other uh, issues in the Middle East. And he did some real, uh, you know, research detective work on this film, Till Kingdom Come, about Israel and, uh, and its relationship with uh, pro-Israel Christians. And it's quite uh, remarkable what he found, quite uh, chilling. And it has even, for now, blocked the airing of this documentary on PBS, the public broadcasting service in the U.S. But it's great to have you, Dexter. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Okay, now there have been quite a few recent events that have sort of spawned this recent wave of negative reporting on Christian Zionists uh, in the U.S. and even in European media and even here in the Hebrew media in Israel. Uh, the whole election last November and the defeat of Trump, both leading into the election and after Trump and his evangelical supporters were defeated. Uh, there was a lot of negative uh, reporting uh, here in Israel. Some of the anti-Netanyahu uh, movement, the way Netanyahu had moved, uh, you know, built relations with the evangelicals. He took a lot of hits for that during this whole black flag movement and all the uh, various elections we've had in Israel. Uh, the documentary film, which was timed to come out right before the U.S. Uh, elections last November. I think that timing was deliberate. They've been working on it for years. And why that particular uh, their agenda, 
Uh, Ron Dermer, the former uh, Israeli ambassador to U.S., he had some comments recently that Israel needs to reach out more to the evangelicals uh, because there's so many of them, uh, and, uh, and as opposed to American Jews. Uh, there have been reports of hidden missionaries among the ultra-Orthodox, especially among the ultra-Orthodox here in Israel. Some of the reporting has called them sleeper cells, as if they're terror cells. And some of the headlines have said, is it, is it okay to execute missionaries? And, uh, and the, the story of the anti-missionary efforts gets mixed in with Christian Zionist, pro-Israel Christians in general, and questioning our motives. And of course, there's been some recent polls about uh, the decline um, of uh, at least white evangelicals in the U.S. And of course, they tend to be very pro-Israel surveys that there's less support for Israel among uh, young evangelicals. And it seems some media are jumping on this almost with glee to try and uh, you know really s spread that message again that all we really uh, our motives are all about uh, provoking or, or triggering Armageddon and the end of the world uh, and other events that uh, have given you know fuel for the fire in trying to uh, denigrate Christian supporters of Israel. But I think uh, a lot of it has been stirred or centered around this film till kingdom come and uh, Dexter before we get into you know exactly uh, what you found with this film let's let's let everyone watch a, a two-minute trailer about it if we can uh, roll that trailer when the Christian community speaks about what they think is going to happen and what they envision as a Jewish person I relate to 99% of it but the end is different. Every nation that has blessed Israel, God has blessed them. And every nation that has opposed Israel, God has been in opposition to them. I know that's a strong word to use, indoctrination, but that's where it starts. The Apostle Paul said, Jesus will come back to the Holy Land. And that's what the evangelicals believe, and they want to support it. Christians have given through us $1.4 billion to help Israel and the Jewish people. American evangelicals are the voting bloc of 25% of the American population. Wouldn't we expect to be better represented in government? Jerusalem is where Messiah will come and establish a kingdom that will never end. Today we officially open the United States Embassy in Jerusalem, the capital the Jewish people established in ancient times. We don't believe that Palestine is a place on God's map. That's not evangelicalism. That's fact of history. The State Department was so afraid to move our embassy to Jerusalem but to us was a very important signal in prophecy. We've been waiting for that to happen for decades. So now we're watching end time signs for the second coming of Christ. There's gonna be great tribulation in Israel. There's gonna be an end time battle, the battle of Armageddon. 
President Trump isn't supporting Israel because of the Jewish community, he's supporting it because of his evangelical followers. This isn't about money. This is bigger than this. This is a strategic partnership of God. Okay. Uh, for me, very uncomfortable to watch. Uh, uh, full disclosure, the, uh, the main uh, producer and director of this film, Maya Zilstein, Zinstein, uh, approached me uh, probably three and a half, close to four years ago, uh, that she was curious about um, uh, Christian Zionists, Christian support for Israel, and she wanted to do a movie about it. And she had uh, already done a film about uh, the, these certain supporters of the Beitar Jerusalem football or soccer team uh, here in, in Jerusalem, that there, there's a portion of their fan base that is very uh, racist against the Arabs. And she did a, a documentary exposing this, and I thought it uh, did a good public service. But here she now wanted to turn her eyes, she said in a good positive way on Christian Zionists. And uh, we just didn't feel right about cooperating it. She even wanted to come film at our feast, but we said, no, we don't want to cooperate with this. And so you're curious what's going to happen to it. And uh, last fall when it came out, uh, it just uh, affirmed our belief, our, you know, we were very relieved. We had not, the Christian embassy had not been involved in this. But Dexter, tell us a little about the film uh, and uh, before we get into, you know, the things, the flaws and the deceptions you found in it, what's the overall uh, uh, narrative and, uh, of this? Well, the overall narrative of the film is, is that essentially evangelicals are a threat to the safety and welfare of Jews living uh, in Israel and also actually outside throughout the world because they want to promote a, a conflict between Christians and Muslims uh, in the Middle East. Uh, and essentially they wanted, they're anxious for an Armageddon, which was the, actually the title of an anti-evangelical book written several years ago. Uh, and what, what she did was is that she basically spliced together a, a number of quotes and uh, uh, to make it sound like people said things other than what they said. And one of the, the major messages was uh, that essentially uh, that evangelicals were essentially using Israeli Jews as a proxy to achieve this, this Armageddon. Uh, and that as a result, and one of the things that she said during the interviews was is that her brother who serves in the IDF was going to end up having half of the, this, this, this evangelical scheme. Uh, and that another allegation level that it was is that the evangelicals were trying to engineer an effort to basically starve the Palestinian refugees of the, uh, of the, the aid that they needed uh, to survive. And, uh, and there, there was a number of other the statements that basically when you really started to unpack it made it perfectly clear that that's not really what they were about. And so we, I knew about this film. It had come out, you know, and we had heard about it in early 2020 and, uh, or no, excuse me, in early 2021, I, I, you know, it had started to get publicity here, but it had actually hit in like mid 2020. And one of the interesting things was, is that, all right, is, is that I said, oh, this is just going to be another hit job on the part of evangelical, on, on evangelicals. 
And it was like, and I had a lot on my plate. And so I basically kind of, it got past me, to be perfectly honest with you. And then I got a phone call from a, a rival and a friend of mine by the name of Luke Moon, who works at the Philos Project. Yes. Yeah. And he said, they doctored the Trump quote. And I said, you're kidding. And just between, you know, it was, it was between us. I said, well, you know, I, I know it's a webinar, but I, he said, you got to let me run with this story. I said, I will. But when this story runs afterwards, you know that I'm going to pick up the ball and we're going to really run with it. And he said, yeah, I know. And it was, it was funny. I, I was, I, I was really unhappy with Luke, but I was very proud that he had caught it as well. So we went out, we, we, we discovered the, he discovered the fake quote, we ran with it. And the thing is, is that it was an act of bigotry. That was the thing that was really, it was a caricature and, and of uh, evangelical support for Israel. And that was the thing that I was most disappointing was is that uh, this notion that somehow that the only reason that evangelicals support Israel uh, is to achieve some sort of, uh, you know, cataclysm in the Middle East, uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, you, we spoken earlier, it, it's, it's akin to a bloodline. It really is. It's an act of bigotry because most evangelicals support Israel largely because, one, it's a matter of justice. Secondly, they uh, want to repent for uh, Christian anti-Judaism and hostility towards Jews, which, which played a role in the Holocaust. And, and another factor is, is that they believe that God's promises to the Jewish people endure. Uh, and, and, and they don't want to somehow denigrate those promises because the, the fact is, is that if God can change his mind in reference to the promises that he made to the Jewish people, then he could change his mind uh, to the promises that he made to Christians through Jesus Christ. And so this is a very, uh, you know, complex issue, but she simplified it and essentially made evangelicals look, frankly, stupid. And, uh, and it, it wasn't a fair portrayal. And, uh, and the thing is, is that you can do that to evangelicals here in the United States, largely because uh, they've been set up as what we call there's a, uh, an anthropologist by the name of Susan Harding that's written about this very well. Uh, they're the repugnant other. They, they play, in many respects, I think, kind of the role that uh, Israelis who live in the West Bank play in, in some places in, uh, in Israeli politics. They're the people mm -hmm. that you can blame for all of the problems that the society endures and say, if it weren't for them, things would be perfect. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that, it's a very troublesome effort to do that. The thing that really was bothersome was is that this film got shown at film festivals throughout the country during the pandemic in online film festivals. And the, the, the afterwards, uh, there would be these Q&As and interviews with the filmmakers. And essentially, the people who organized these film festivals, a lot of them were from the, the uh, Jewish community centers throughout the country. They basically bought the narrative lock, stock, and barrel, and they didn't push back on it, in part because, one, it fed their pre-existing beliefs about our, you know, evangelical support for Israel. Uh, and, and secondly, they didn't know enough. And, and how, how would you know that, that, that somebody had fabricated a quote? And, and I know mm -hmm. that's a very tough charge to make, but that's what happened. Mm -hmm. These quotes, there were two quotes for sure that we just know, we understand mm -hmm. 
were just basically cobbled together. We can talk about that later. How would anybody know that? And the thing was, is that if you didn't know that, you would accept what these people had said, lock, stock, and barrel, and you would come away very fearful of it. And that was the thing that was really, I think, this movie was clearly, it wasn't just part of a propaganda war, but it was also kind of like a part of a psyop. And I don't like using that word. Mm-hmm. But that's what it was. It was meant to sow fear and mistrust yes. uh, towards uh, evangelicals in the United States. And it was a, a very, very uh, ugly thing to be doing. Yeah, I, I think this is is part of the, the uh, difficult thing for for me to accept that, you know, in, in a lot of Jewish eyes, and rightly so, Christians were always this enemy that had done horrible things to the Jewish people, and we have to acknowledge that. But uh, it's now that uh, these pro-Israel Christians who have had a change of heart and a complete turnaround in repentance, well, they're just as evil as the Christians of past generations who hated us, called us Christ killers. Now they just want us all to die in some, uh, you know, big uh, uh, extermination in Israel. And we have to admit there there are uh, Christians, and especially those of sort of obsessed with the dark side of prophecy, who do promote a certain uh, uh, eschatology or take that that you know sees the church raptured and two thirds of the Jews dying in the tribulation, so that one third will finally uh, call on Jesus. Uh, I, we've n- never taught that. We've actually taught against that sort of interpretation, where you know the world's broadest Christian Zionist organization, and yet no one wants to give that. They all want to sort of peg all Christians as sort of thirsting for Armageddon, trying to bring on the end of the world, and it scares Jewish people. And uh, the film did air on Channel One just a few days before the November elections. And of course, Trump is a main player in it, a lot of the leading evangelicals. But talk a minute about, uh, you know, the, the fellowship of Christian Jews started by Rabbi, Rabbi Yechiel Eckstein, which has done incredible work in raising money for uh, humanitarian projects for Jews in Israel and around the world. And his daughter, Yael, is taking over for him at this time. He just passed away uh, a year or so ago. Uh, but he, she was already, you know, starting to take over the reins of this ministry. I guess they thought this would be an opportunity for her to become more well-known through this documentary uh, and, and a certain church that supports the fellowship in Kentucky in a poor coal mining area that is really uh, uh, in, a, in its own little depression now. And and you know, depicting these poor people as giving to Israel, so thirsting for Armageddon and and whatever that they don't even care if people still living in shacks in their own community, and you know that uh, really is a disservice to all the people um, involved. But that look, those are the main players in this, right? And that was a regional church. That was one, one thing that people need to understand was is that, yes, there were segments of the community that that church uh, supports that, that are suffering from an economic downturn, but there are other communities within its regional uh, scope that are doing pretty well. So it wasn't as if they were basically taking money out of the hands of 
poor starving children uh, it, it, you know, in Appalachia and then handing it over to Israel. There were people who also had money. And another thing was is that this church does outreach actually for the people who, who are suffering locally as well. It wasn't part of like, it wasn't a singular thing that this church did. And the interesting thing, you know, is, is that you made exactly the right decision uh, not to even allow yourself to be filmed by uh, Maya Zinstein and, and Abraham Trollen is because if you could have said, spoken about this for hours and it would have left, been left metaphorically on the cutting room floor, it would not have made it into the film. That's right. And, I have experience of, oh, right. of 20 some years of these deceptive tactics by the media. There, there's right. not a whole lot of integrity in some of these. If they're right. after you, they're gonna get you. Because, you know, one of the interesting things was is that uh, she had interviewed Johnny Moore, who is a prominent evangelical here in the United States. And he, he had spoken about in 19, uh, excuse me, in 2019, he basically said, look, you're going to see an awful lot of evangelicals in the Gulf Coast states, or excuse me, in the Gulf states in the Middle East. I, I, the Gulf Coast phrase is from my time working at writing about commercial fishing, forgive me, but uh, the, the Gulf states in the Middle East. And, and she had a very good sense that the uh, Abraham Accords were going to be coming down the pipe. People had been talking about that. And the evangelical community played a very essential role in that. Uh, they basically worked uh, with the UAE. They worked with the Israelis. They, they pressured uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to back off from any plans for annexation because that would make the Abraham Accords impossible. Uh, and they played a substantial role in that. And interestingly enough, uh, the Twitter account for the film broadcast some of the footage with Johnny Moore talking about that, mm -hmm. okay? But the thing was, at a certain point, and this is speculation on my part, was is that she realized that that information cut against the entire premise of American evangelicals as warmongers in the Middle East. And trying so, to provoke war between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Right. And in and fact, they, they that, were yeah. working for yeah. it. And so that tweet, it got deleted. And I found an old version, I found a link to the deleted tweet and the commentary mm -hmm. on it, but we could never find the footage from Johnny Moore. We yeah. could never find it. And so that was very interesting. It was one of those moments when it was like, you could see into uh, the strategy. And the strategy was, we're gonna portray evangelicals as war makers. And I think what happened was, is that uh, the producers of the film, they, they, once the Abraham Accords came out, they wanted to say, look, we know so much about the evangelical community that we even have footage from 2009 that describes what happened, mm -hmm. okay? But then when they realized, well, wait a minute, that undermines the premise of our film, then they, they tried to basically throw that down the memory hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, this other uh, co-producer along with uh, Maya Zinstein, uh, uh, Abraham Trowin, he did a, a documentary a few years ago called Searching for Sandman. And I've seen it. You can go on YouTube and watch it. I think it's one of the most fascinating uh, documentaries ever. I don't know if you knew about this, but it's about a, a an Hispanic uh, uh, sort of folk rock uh, artist 
in Detroit in the 60s that tried to cut an album and his, his the producer of the album out in LA, they only sold around 11 copies of it in the US. It completely failed. No one ever heard of this guy, Sixto Rodriguez. And, uh, and but some girl from California had it, had a, had it on a cassette tape, the, the album. Uh, one of the songs is about Sandman and, and she takes it to South Africa with her to visit her boyfriend. He likes it and his friends like it. And a couple uh, uh, record stores or record chains down there, a radio, they pirate it and start selling it and make thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. It becomes so well known. The guy is, is as big as Elvis and Bob Dylan in South Africa. It's the story of, of living in a bubble in that South African bubble still in apartheid times. He became the, this, this guy no one ever heard of in the States or anyone else that people know that whole generation in South Africa knows every words to his songs and thinks he's as big as Elvis. And it turns out he, he was no one and they, the, so the someone in South Africa goes and try and find him finally and takes him there for a concert tour where he's so, uh, you know, verified and, and feels redeemed in front of all these people that he had a fan base he had no idea about and he was still poor and, and it really, you know, it helped him, but it was just a fascinating documentary and he's involved in this one. And so I went from here to here and my view of him, but talk about these three deceptions that they deliberately, you think, put in the film okay. to make it even look worse. Right. The first, uh, the three major deceptions are, first of all, they manipulated a quote from uh, Donald Trump. What happened was he gave a press conference on January 20th in 2020. And, uh, he basically said, and it was in promotion of his peace plan from peace to prosperity. And what he, that plan basically said, let's build the Palestinian state on most of the West Bank, uh, the Gaza Strip, and even some land uh, from Israel itself, that's generally accepted to be part of Israel itself. And what they did was is that they spliced quotes that he said at various parts of this press conference to make it sound like he wanted to hand over the entire West Bank to the Israelis. And, uh, and it was kind of, it was like, and the thing was, is that anybody that knew the details uh, knew that that wasn't true. Uh, and, but the problem was, is that if you weren't paying attention, you would kind of say, well, okay, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's not, that's a bad policy. And so what happened was, is that essentially once you started to document it, they even spliced in like one word, I can't even remember which word it was, that was basically as a link. And in order to obscure the fact that these words did not come out of Donald Trump's mouth all in one shot, mm -hmm. what they did was, is in the middle of the quote, they would show an audience reaction to what he was saying, which sure. was basically video from some other, you know, you know, the time of that press conference. And then, so the shot begins with Donald Trump speaking in one instance, then you cut to the audience, and then you have it, the camera from another angle showing him say, finishing the quote. 
Then they did the same thing to David Brog, uh, who was the founding director of Christians United for Israel. The first flaw, uh, just to be clear, the first flaw, they had Trump basically saying Israel was going to be allowed to annex the entire West Bank. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. When you, yeah, that was essentially the message. It, and it was a little muddy because essentially they, but that's really what they were saying. And then the interesting thing was, is that uh, uh, there was another quote, and I'll go, go back to the David Brog quote. There was also a quote from Mike Pompeo. And it was talking about how essentially, you know, th there's going to be some sort of conflict or uh, disagreement until the rapture, and we have to keep fighting until the rap until the rapture. Mm -hmm. The thing, and what happened was, is that they put it on, put on the screen, uh, Mike Pompeo, U.S. Secretary of State, and so they made it look like he was saying this, and they framed it with uh, images and uh, you know audio related to the M Middle East before and after. Mm -hmm. So you have these images related to conflict in the Middle East and Armageddon. Then you had Mike Pompeo quote about rapture. He was referred to as the U.S. Secretary of State. And then he went back to more of these images and audios about conflict in the region. And that's kind of an impressionistic view, but that's really what it was. Mm -hmm. So then I, we, we discovered, I was like, once you, you manipulate one quote, it's like, okay, what's going on here? Let's look at the others. So I found the quote. It was from an appearance that he made uh, that Mike Pompeo made when he was a, a U.S. rep, uh, member of the House of Representatives in 2015. Didn't have anything at all to do with the Middle East, but had to do with the Supreme Court ruling regarding same-sex marriage. Right. So what he she did, or what they did, you know, was to basically rip the quote out of one context and put it into another which is an elementally deceptive thing to do. Yes. Uh, then with the David Brog quote, I think it was, I can't remember what year it was. It might've been 2017, 2018, I apologize. But he gave a talk about how- uh, David Brog is with KUFI. Yeah, he was with KUFI now. He's now with another organization, I think called Maccabees. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was, you know, one of the driving forces of uh, within Kufi about, you know, the agenda that it was promoting. Christians and United for Israel. Which is headquartered by San Antonio, Texas, uh, led by John Hagee, who's uh, a pastor, an evangelical pastor here in the United States. And the, the thing was, is, is that they did the same thing to, to David Brog that they did to Donald Trump, which was he spoke and he said, look, we want to go after the United Nations Relief and Works Agency because there's a real problem with that. And he made a, a long list. I think it was a you know several minute peroration, so to speak, about the problems with uh, UNRWA. And there are legitimate problems with UNRWA that need to be spoken about. And he says, what we want to do is we want to basically cut back the funding to UNRWA. But in fa fact, uh, they she they spliced it to make it sound like he wanted to cut funding to Palestinian refugees, mm. okay? And they made David Brog look like some sort of heartless guy from the United States speaking to a bunch of evangelical Christians who essentially didn't care whether or not uh, 
these re refugees would starve to death. That was the implication. We want to cut back the funding to Palestinian refugees. And when you listen to the first version, you can hear that the audio is different, okay? It gets really loud when he says Palestinian refugees. And, and, and the thing is, if you don't know what you're looking for, if you don't, if you think that, that, it's, that it's on the level, you'll miss it. So what happened was, is that I contacted the folks at Kufi and I said, can you give me access to the actual speech that David Brock made? And lo and behold, they had done the same thing. They had taken different parts of what he had said and spliced it together to make it look like he had said something other than what he actually said. Okay. And they changed the meaning of what he said. Okay. Now the thing is, is that if you're making a documentary and somebody and work and somebody's talking and they say an awful lot of ums and errs or they have verbal tics, sometimes documentarians will remove that to me and they, they will remove those tics so or those ums and errs so that essentially the, the audience isn't distracted by the mannerisms of the person speaking. Okay. Uh, and so that's not what happened here. That is simply not what happened here. They changed what he said. He had said elsewhere in the very same speech, he said, look, we want to stop money going to, to we want to change, we want to affect how UNRWA decides who gets money or not. And UNRWA will give money to uh, the children and grandchildren of people who lost their homes during the 1948 war. And the, the, those people, they really aren't refugees when you really think about it. What they are is people who are living in other countries like Lebanon and Syria that should actually be regarded as uh, citizens in the country in which they were born. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, and what has happened is, is that UNRWA's definition of refugees has basically caused this refugee crisis to balloon. There are now like 5.5 million people who are listed as refugees. The vast majority of them were born well after the war in other countries. Uh, and so they should be regarded as citizens. He went after that. He said, though, look, we want UNRWA to basically help only the real people, the people who really lost their homes. But at the same time, 70, 80, 90 years old now. Right. That's fine. But we don't, we want to send money to the other people who need it, to Palestinians in need through another institution called the United States Agency for International Development. And the thing was, I was, the second I watched the speech, I knew immediately what had happened and we just had to document it. We put that article up on the website. So the, there were three, those were like three dead bang acts of uh, disinformation. Because UNRWA, is, because UNRWA is so corrupt and because Hamas and other terror groups get their hands on so much of the money that goes right. through the UN agency, Kufi and, and, and Brog and Hege, they were saying, let's send the money for the Palestinians through USAID, which has more accountability over it. Right. That, that was what yeah. they were fighting for. Yeah. But the film says, cut off all the Palestinians, let them yeah, stop. Reduce the aid to Palestinian refugees. Mm -hmm. And th that was like, no, that's not what he said. And that's not fair. Um, and, and, and I would consider that almost actionable. 
to be honest with you, on a legal level. But, you know, because uh, it, it portrayed David Brog and Kufi and all of these folks as applauding, uh, you know, withholding the, 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 the aid uh, to poor, suffering Palestinians. And that really, and the thing was, is that they did other things. They used quotes from other journalists to basically say, why, you know, why is Trump doing this? Why, and because Trump eventually did actually enact some of those changes. And it was like, well, David Brog explained why those changes would seem to be legitimate to large numbers of people. They asked the question, well, why would Trump do this? And they had the information at hand to explain why, but they didn't give that to their viewers. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a fundamentally an, an, an act of deception. It's not, and the thing was, is, is that this got broadcast on, you know, many, many, you know, several uh, uh, film festivals. Nobody challenged it. Nobody knew enough to challenge it. And the, 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 the correction didn't come out until camera discovered it. Uh, you know, several months after it had been shown to everybody. And it the was thing a, is, it, it was about to air on PBS TV in the U.S. Right. And once you well, came yeah, that, out with your information. Right. Now, the thing was, is that it was the Trump quote that I think basically caused everyone to say, what's going on with this film? Mm -hmm. And the thing was, is the camera was not done with this film, e even after the Trump quote. It was like, OK. Uh, and, and one of the reasons why was because. Uh, it was just, we knew that there were other problems. So we found out about these other problems. There's other, there's one other issue that, that I've not written about, which is the confrontation between one of the pastors and Munther Isaac, the Palestinian Christian. And, uh, and I haven't even written about that. Uh, Munther Isaac is, you know, he's held up as if he is like this wonderful peacemaker. Uh, when in fact, he's, one of, he's, a, he's one of the most, uh, you, know, po you know, strong polemicists against the Jewish state and against Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, Christian Century, which is a liberal Protestant magazine here in the United States, they panned his, well, his most recent book, mm -hmm. okay? And they said, look, he may have legitimate beefs against the Israeli government, but he basically, he, he, he veers into supersessionism. Why you don't have to do that, and so that's that's how uh, when Christian Century is is going to pan your book, you have a problem, okay? <laughs> because Christian Century's been pretty tolerant of this stuff over the years. It, to be fair, though, they may actually be taking a little bit more responsible tap <laughs> towards peacemaking and the Middle East. <laughs> they're not perfect, but they're better than they've been historically. Which you, is you talk. You're talking about uh, Mutter Isaac, who was a, um, a Palestinian cleric from Bethlehem, who yeah. was often yeah. portrayed. One of the things he said was, is that people accuse us, and, and this is off the top of my head, uh, but I have a copy of his book. Forgive me, but... I, this is the book, okay? And I, if I can find it, one of the things that he says in this book is, is that we're Semites. The Palestinians are Semites. Yeah, well, how can you call us anti-Semites? Show us the cover and title again. The yeah, other it's called uh, the, the Other Side of the Wall: A Palestinian mm -hmm. Christian Narrative of Lament and Hope. 
You know? Yeah, he says he's more Jewish than Netanyahu. He's the guy who's been saying well, that. That might be Mitri Rahab. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mitri, the okay. thing is, is that at one point, and, and I, I, I could be wrong about this, but when they show Munther Isaac in the pulpit at uh, the, his church in uh, Bethlehem, there's a guy sitting in a chair behind the pulpit, and I think it's Mitri Rahab. And Rahab is is even worse than Luther Isaac when it comes yeah. to anti-Israel polemics. And yeah. the thing is, is, is that if you don't know who Mitri Rahab is, you, you're not going to get the connection. But people like us will say, and I'm pretty confident it's Mitri Rahab. I, I want to make it yeah. So, so if it's Mitri, it's like, there's yeah. that's the clue. So they uh, just among the the major flaws, they doctored the quotes by Trump to make it seem like he was going to allow Israel to annex the whole West Bank. That was his plan. They doctored uh, quotes from Mike Pompeo from years before to yeah. say Secretary of State, he's pushing some sort right. of dispensational agenda. Uh, they doctored uh, the, the Kufi speeches and, and their policy to try and help the Palestinians through a more accountable way to say, no, the, these evangelicals don't care about starving Palestinians. And, and then they don't tell the truth about some of the other figures in it. But uh, uh, another way you've identified is how they've uh, misrepresented evangelicals as warmongering when, in fact, they were working for peace with their Arab neighbors. Right. Tell us about that. Well, yes, and it, I spoke a little bit about that before, but this came from Johnny Moore when she spoke to him, and he was only he only got a couple of snippets. And I suspect that he spoke to her for a lot longer. You know, you see these people, they, they're sitting in a chair like this or in a really nice room with a, you know, a background, you know that it took a long time to set those, those interviews up. It wasn't just a couple of minutes. They spoke at length. Okay. And what happened was, is that sometime around, you know, during the early part of the Trump administration, people reached out to, and you may know some of the actors probably better than I do, because I'm a, I'm a Roman Catholic. I'm outside the evangelical. Okay, mm -hmm. and to, you know, and forgive me, I grew up in a liberal Protestant church, uh, and we thought evangelicals were crazy. There there's a, a, was a church, I think it was an Assemblies of God church in Route 1 in Massachusetts, and I said, look at that church, those people are crazy, Mom. And my mother was a little bit smarter, and she says, those people do good work. Don't mm -hmm. you dare sneer at them. But anyhow, what happened was, is that there were, I think it was somebody by the last name of Rosenberg, he's an evangelical in Jerusalem. He was one of the people. Joe Rosenberg. Yeah, I think, he, you know, I don't want to mischaracterize it. So please, if I get mm -hmm. it wrong, it's unintentional. But he was one of the people that I think kind of did some of the behind the scenes work. I think uh, Johnny Moore did as well. There was probably other people. And uh they basically, once they realized that there was an opportunity with an Abraham Accords or some sort of peace deal with uh, the UAE, they said, okay, well, we'll do this. And they did kind of the back channel type of stuff uh, mm -hmm. that the Israelis did during Oswald, okay, mm -hmm. except for maybe better outcome. But that's that's the value judgment. I'm not making that mm -hmm. judgment. But uh, the thing was, is that they had been working on this all along, and... Uh, 
because there are significant numbers of, I think, Arab leaders in the Middle East that are realizing that Iran's a bigger threat to their welfare than Israel is. They see what happened is happening in Lebanon, which is falling apart largely as a result of Iranian uh, intrusion in, through Hezbollah. And they were like, look, we need help uh, to keep Hezbollah and Iran at bay. And we need peace between us and Israel because Israel is actually a source of economic growth. So that there was this opening. The evangelicals played a role in uh, bringing it about. Maya Zinstein was able to document some of it for sure, but then hit it once she realized that it, it went against her narrative. That's my speculation. The, and, those uh, events happened during the time of her making the film, and right. she completely ignored it, knowing it was going on, but right. it didn't fit her narrative. Right. And the thing is, is that that was as big a story as the embassy move. Yes. They, you know, it really was. Because, yes. for the, and, you know, because, and for me, it was a great source of hope, okay? Because, uh, you know, I've been, you know, I haven't been doing this work as long as you have. Mm -hmm. But at the time that I have been doing it, I have generally regarded uh, Arab and Muslim hostility more mono towards Israel and towards Jews more monolithic than it really is. And that's mm -hmm. a sin on my part. And what happened was, is that the UAE basically said it's not all like that. And that doesn't mean that there aren't uh, irresponsible leaders in other countries uh, promoting hostility towards Jews in Israel. Uh, just a few... But, and I'll talk, I should talk about that later, but uh, what we have is we have people who are starting to realize that this is not a good thing. Hostility towards Jews in Israel is a hindrance to economic development in the region. And the one community that everybody thinks is crazy were the people who actually helped bring about a, a public affirmation of this reality. Yes. And yeah. th the thing is, is that for me, when I, I run into, and I, I'm not a heavy hitter, I'm not like one of these top tier folks, but uh, whenever I run into people in the evangelical community that I, you know, feared as a child, you know, I've gone to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention uh, maybe once or twice, and I'm like, these people seem happy. They, I, they don't seem like they're trying to start a war anywhere. And, uh, and basically, if, if, you know, I can live with these people. But the problem is, is that the media here in the United States, they want to balkanize mm -hmm. uh, the United States to a large extent yeah. and make it so that we don't trust or like one another mm -hmm. and hate each other. Yeah, it's, and, it's, it's quite an a ironic turn of history that, that, uh, evangelicals, Christians, have to convince the Jewish people that we don't have horns. <laughs> right. I, yeah, see, that, and that's the thing that's really, and the thing is, it's not just that they're trying to frighten American Jews or Israeli mm -hmm. Jews. They're trying to frighten everybody who's non-evangelical about the evils of the evangelical community. Uh, and, you know, I, just in passing, we just had a, a, a stabbing here in Boston a few weeks ago, I think it was on July 1st, I think that's the date, uh, by an Egyptian national, and he's been charged with a hate crime. He, he stabbed a rabbi outside a synagogue. Right, just minutes from my house, okay? 
clearly Semitic attack. Yeah, and the thing is, is, is that there's a commentator by the name of Amir Adib that a friend of mine has been telling me about. He's in Egypt. He said, send him back. The, 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 the person who was charged with the crime, his name is Khaled Awad. He was here in the United States on an educational visa to get a, a college degree. degree. He, he based, I think he flunked out. I'm not really sure, but he stopped attending classes. That was a violation of his visa. Should have been sent home. He stabbed uh, a rabbi. He, you know, you could, I want people to read about it. Eight times, the rabbi, you know, he looked like he wanted to abduct him. Uh, and the thing is, is that there was a prominent commentator that people have told me about in Egypt that said, send him back to us. And he's gone on to say, oh, it wasn't so bad. Or he's, he's basically mm -hmm. talked about uh, Jewish control of the media here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so what, what has happened is, is that to a certain extent, and I don't want to exaggerate it, is, is that we have people here in the United States uh, that are basically promoting fear and hostility towards one another. Uh, and, and I actually think that this film was part of that. I really yes. do. Mm -hmm. Let's make liberal Protestants and American Jews and everyone else fearful of evangelical Protestants so that we'll think the worst of them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I just find that outrageous. Yeah, I, I, you know, your work there in exposing the, the deceptions in this film has uh, put a block on it with PBS. They said they were going to... not ruin the reputation of filmmakers that were involved. Yeah, well, you see, now, I didn't know that I had seen that film. Maybe that they couldn't get film, fun, funding for more films. They had to get funding to put this together. Right. And there's a lot of sponsors now who should be answering for this. Right, that's, that's absolutely true. And the thing is, is that, you know, there's this International Documentary Association, IDA, that publishes a magazine called Documentary. I think that's what it's called. And every once in a while, they'll publish articles about the need for ethics in the documentary filmmaking community. Uh, and they say that you, you know, but that you shouldn't jam up or take advantage of your sources. Uh, the interesting thing is, is that in her interviews, Maya Zinstein refers to the people in her documentary as characters. Okay, mm -hmm. it, which means that she's writing a narrative, and. It's almost like she's playing Dungeons and Dragons with these real people. That's what she's doing. She's, you know, she's using the, she's deploying the words and the images of these people to tell a story that she wants to tell, which is largely, I think, what documentary filmmaking is about. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you're not going to understand that these people are sources, they're not just your characters to manipulate and uh, push around on screen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, you know, I'm ambivalent, you know, we all want attention. You know, we mm -hmm. all want, well, you know, some people want it more than others, and, mm -hmm. but everybody wants publicity. But the problem is, is that, you know, at what risk and at what cost are you gonna get that publicity? That's the frightening thing. I, you know, I don't know if, if I could say no to mm -hmm. somebody coming into my office and say, oh, we want to do a, uh, 
uh, documentary about your work, we find your life fascinating. Then I'm going to say, well, I'm ready for my close-up. <laughs> but what's going to happen when the documentary is finally made? Mm. You know, are they going to make me look like a warmongering Zionist who uh, wants the Palestinians to continue suffering until uh, till the end of time, which is not who I am. Yes. But that's the way that the, the people will, will characterize us if we're not careful. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, uh, we appreciate uh, your time here. We appreciate all the explanation about the film, which, as I said, uh, when it aired in Israel last fall, there was all sorts of media coverage of it and reviews. And I remember Gideon Levy and Haaret says, you know, prepare, you better bring along a barf bag because yeah. you're going to get sick. This, this movie will make uh, nauseate you and stuff. So uh, that, that Christians are nauseating. These, these Christians who love it, say they love Israel, uh, they're so evil and deceptive and, and wicked that uh, you'll, you'll be, uh, your stomach will sour at this that that was his approach and there's been other you know it just seems there's there's been a wave lately both here in israel and abroad of trying to scare people about christians those christians who put trump in office and are still finding a way for him and uh, it's something we need to be aware that uh, i think all christian supporters about supporting this i know you had a little run-in recently in boston where you live and work with a, an anti-Israel protest, uh, and you can't talk about it, but we got a little clip. I think this was around 100 protesters who gathered outside like one of the mainstream Jewish organizations in, in Boston that, that, you know, they sort of work for peace, at least coexistence between Arabs and Jews in Israel and such, and yet this protest is outside their door and you show up and someone hears there's a Zionist around and uh, and all of a sudden you get harassed, if not physically spat upon and stuff. We can't show the whole thing because it kind of descends into uh, uh, cursing, yeah. but we can show that clip real quick. Okay, uh, you can see people are trying to reach out, uh, uh, touch him on the face, uh, slap him a little, uh, making obscene gestures in his face and spitting on him. There's more to it, but uh, Dexter's uh, um, got some, there's some follow-up to that that he and Cameron are working through that he really can't talk about it, but it, it, was, it was brave of you, Dexter. If I had known it was going to happen, I would have shaved. You know, I would have looked, I would have dressed better. All right, you're brave. But as you said earlier, uh, here in Jerusalem, we've been fighting this sort of media bias 
against, uh, you know, there's a general media bias out there against Israel and against anyone who stands with Israel. And I had my own experience when there was a huge wave of very derogatory reporting on Christian Zionists in the lead up to the millennium. I was new to the Christian embassy at the time, started in November, uh, it started in the summer of 97 here. And by the middle of 98, for the next 18 months up to the year 2000, there was a, whole, a lot of media hype on the, over the millennium. And a lot of the reporting was either about all the crazy Christians who believed Jesus was coming back in the year 2000, and all the Christians who were going to visit uh, Jerusalem and Israel at that time and get Jerusalem syndrome and try and blow up the Dome of the Rock and trigger Armageddon. And it was dozens and dozens. I, I estimate at least 200 media interviews I did in about an 18-month period just on that subject alone to where I finally put out a press release that was quoted by Reuters and AP, all the major news wires that's, that talked about how we had, uh, had done some research and study, and we knew of no major evangelical leader who said Jesus was coming back that year, that the number of cases of Jerusalem syndrome are far, far, far lower than what the media was presenting and uh, trying to put a much uh, more sober uh, spin out there on it. None of the media, some of them reported on it, but none of the media after the year 2000 came and none of the things they were warning about happened. No one came back and said, mea culpa, whatever, but we've been fighting this for a long time. The, and there is something we have to guard against and try and understand not to give them ammunition that this whole uh, dispensational narrative that came through uh, uh, John Nelson Darby of the Scottish Brethren got transplanted to the States, the Schofield Bible, which produced this whole dispensational view in the US, that uh, if you believe it, just, you know, there's not as many pro-Israel Christians that really buy into all of that as, as the media presents. And even those among them, they're harmless. They're not going to do anything to actually, you know, be part of this evil confrontation against God and against Israel, that they're more sort of fatalistic. And as uh, the scholar Timothy Weber wrote, they sort of sit in the bleachers of history. They have this approach that prophecy set in stone and you just sit back and watch it. We have been more involved in the positive side of prophecy, the ingathering of Israel, Aliyah and such, and our motivation and support, uh, motivations for supporting Israel, they're based in covenant promises and not uh, the, how we interpret the dark side of, of biblical prophecy. It's there, who's the Antichrist and you know the mark of the beast, all that, it's there. You have to try and understand it and all, but it's not, we're not obsessing about it. And uh, we try to be responsible uh, uh, in our Christian Zionism, constructive, trying to help Israel. We're not out to harm Israel. We truly care about Israel. And when you when you meet people in Africa or Asia or you know so many parts of the world who who are poor, and as an expression of faith, say I'm going to bless Israel so that maybe I can be blessed. 
this is sincere and genuine, a matter of faith, the ingathering of Israel, the restoration of Israel. It's a fulfillment of biblical promises, covenant promises to Abraham and the patriarchs that we've seen come to pass in our lifetime. It's a matter of faith that, that if God can keep his promises made thousands of years ago to the Jewish people, he'll keep his promises to me under the covenant, the new covenant that I have through the blood of Jesus. It's a simple faith statement. There's nothing menacing towards the Jewish people about it. And in fact, we have nothing but good intentions about it. And I think we just want to encourage all Christians to be aware of this, not to, you know, don't cast pearls before swine. Be aware that the things you say and all can be and will be used against you by those who really want to sow mischief and scare the very people that we're trying to help. I wrote about this in a paper, a monograph called Swords into Plowshares. If we can show that and give the, uh, the link to it, uh, it's a paper that I wrote in around 2002. I think, Dexter, you quoted it uh, from it recently. And um, uh, you'll have to show that on the screen. There's a, a link there, icej.org slash swords hyphen plowshares and plowshares is p-l-o-u-g-h the british way the good queen's english so if you want to read that paper it gives uh, a recap of what happened in all that millennium hype it identifies a lot of the issues that we're dealing with in media bias against israel and against christian supporters of israel and then sets out uh, a, a solid biblical uh, covenantal uh, approach to our support of Israel and, and trying to defend our cause. So that is available on our website at icej.org slash swords hyphen plowshares, P-L-O-U-G-H-S-H-A-R-E-S, plowshares. So uh, we appreciate your time again, uh, Dexter. And all the best in your work. Uh, we hope uh, PBS uh, just decides not to show this. Uh, may, may you encourage some of these uh, funders. These documentaries can't be made unless there's funding from some of these sources and film festivals that they will also be held accountable for allowing people to be deceptive in this way and, and tarnishing uh, a broad swath of good people. And uh, we want to remind everyone as we uh, leave today that there's a um, feast webinar tomorrow. We're building up to our Feast of Tabernacles in late September, September 20th through 27th. We're adding a day there. And you can uh, come watch our, our uh, feast webinar tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock Israel time. We'll be speaking with Mana, uh, Pastor Manasseh uh, Kolovusu from Fiji. Uh, I believe we have, uh, uh, is it Robert Baxter from Fr France and uh, Israeli pastor Israel Pakhtar on our Friday uh, webinar uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles. And then join us next week on Wednesday for our global prayer gathering at four, a feast webinar next Thursday. We're going to be talking with the former um, uh Commissioner for Tourism for the Israel Ministry of Tourism in North America, Yuri Steinberg, about when Christians can finally get back in Israel. So tune in for that next Thursday at four o'clock. 
and uh, God bless you as we go. I want to personally invite you for our special feast webinar series. The theme of this year's Feast of Tabernacles is the Days of Elijah. I'm inviting you here from the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out 2,000 years ago. We expect that the Lord will do something special also at this year's Feast of Tabernacles. Please stay tuned and join our special webinars for the Feast of Tabernacles.